Well, good morning. Sorry about this voice of mine. Um, I got a little bit of a cold in Bogota, but I think it's mostly this yellow pollen that I am waiting for a good storm to wash away uh, profoundly and deeply. But Father Don encouraged me because he said, though your voice may sound like tin today, it will only remind them that normally it sounds like gold. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Father Don, for that sentiment. I am sure we all agree. <laughs> Don's always looking at the bright side. All of those of you who know him know how true that is. All right. Uh, I think the only announcement, if I remember, let me borrow your, is to remember uh, the Il Easter lilies, those who want to participate with those, but also on April 12th, we will be doing the Stations of the Cross again at Holy Faith Catholic Church. And uh, we've, I don't know how many years, Mary's not here, so I don't know if anyone remembers, but we've been doing this for a long time. And uh, certainly over a decade, maybe 15, I don't know. But anyway, it's been really good. Um, I remember in about 1999, right before the Franklin Graham, they take two years before Billy Graham comes, and ends up Billy Graham was sick, and Franklin came. It wasn't the Franklin Graham crusade, but he ended up being the one that came and preached. But for two years, you have to pray, and they have to get all the passionate people together and to kind of commit. And I'll never forget, some of you know Father Julian from, uh, that was at St. Patrick's, still in the area. Um, you know, we were raised the four spiritual laws and Bill Bright and all that stuff. And, and so when we had some of the preliminary meetings, Father Julian came in and he said, oh, he said, I've been using the four spiritual laws for 20 years. He said, uh, he said, I get called most of the time. He said, I get called to the hospital, the lapsed Catholics. They only, you know, they don't go to church, but they're in, they're in uh, the hospital. He says, and I bring them the four spiritual laws to make sure they know Jesus. Now, I was raised, all the, uh, all the Catholics didn't know, you know, I hate to say it, but I, I, I was, uh, let's say, very narrow in my understanding of things. And I, thank you, sweetheart. Um, so I was, I was so impressed. I mean, not only uh, that he knew Jesus, but that he would be using the four spiritual laws. And uh, uh, in time, uh, I've got to know a number of the priests locally uh, who have a personal relationship with Jesus. And, you know, what a, we don't agree about everything. That's why we're here. But nonetheless... Uh, we do believe and agree about Jesus being our Savior and Lord. And, and uh, Father John is certainly a, uh, he would call himself a person as Pope John Paul II. Others would say a person who's had a personal encounter with Jesus. Uh, the Catholics don't really like the, the saying that we're saved or born again because they say that's what the Protestants say when they want us to lead the Catholic Church. Uh, so uh, anyway, but people have a personal relationship with Jesus. And so uh, Father John is... Uh, I consider him a good friend. I've known him for probably over 20 years in holy faith. Uh, we've had a deep interconnection because of uh, Mary Shaw in terms of prayer teams and uh, uh, doing tons of training and things. Anyway, it's been great. And I'm so, I'm so thankful because in this city, there are so many good Baptist churches, Methodist churches, Presbyterian churches, some of God. I mean, people who love the Lord Jesus Christ and are committed to his word uh, and... Um, as uh, Pastor Lastinger, who used to be uh, at First Assembly in the old days, he said one time on the radio, uh, he said, uh, Lord, thank you. Was, I, we would get done earlier than them, believe it or not, in the old days. But anyway, uh, I heard him at the radio. I'd get in my car and hear him on the radio. And he said, uh, Lord, we thank you that we're not the only show in town. But Lord, thank you that we're part of what you're doing in Gainesville. 
And that really stuck with me. And uh, that's what I feel like here at St. Andrews. We're not the only show in town, but we're so grateful to be part of what God's doing in the city. Um, so on the 12th, if you can do it, we would love for you. Remember, they give us a free dinner on that day, which is no small battle between the Knights of Columbus who are raising money and the priest, you know, Father John. So, I mean, they really pay attention. So they're going to prepare all these extra dinners. So what we would like you to do is to make it your business to prioritize April 12th to be with us, uh, to sign up so they make your dinner, and then just sit and eat dinner together. Now, in the past years, we've had a problem. And that is, with the group that comes, we tend to all sit together. And that's a little bit defeating the purpose, but understandable. You sit with people that you know. But what we'd like you to do this year, uh, more than ever, it would be to, to come and uh, you know, ha- maybe have one person with you that you know. But then also, let's try to get to know some people from Holy Faith. That would be a really good thing on that day. So April 12th, please put that in your calendar. All right, if you would, would you turn with me? Is there any announcements that I've missed? Volunteer schedule. I, haven't, I missed it, so I don't see it, but there's an announcement about the volunteers. Oh, it's in the back. Gene's holding it up. Uh, we do need people, of course, to volunteer for various functions um, in terms of greeters, uh, ushers, all kinds of different things, uh, and we would appreciate you Uh, considering that. I didn't read the announcement, but it's in there in your bulletin this morning. Okay, if you would turn with me in your Bibles, uh, or it's going to be on the overhead in a second, John 15. Jesus said in the gospel today that uh, uh, Larry read so beautifully, um, those, you know, my true family are the ones who who hear my word and keep it, and keep it. Um, So I had a chance to go down. I had a friend of ours who was very ill, and so uh, they've been asking me to come for two years, and I just never felt the Lord told me to go. Not that you don't like going. I mean, Columbia is a nice place, and, and uh, you know, I've been there, some, I think, for about 10 years. I went four or five times a year. I mean, we really saw some revivals and some slums there. Uh, but that season, frankly, seemed to be over uh, five to seven years ago, and I hadn't gone back. Uh, but a dear friend of ours, uh, who was the original connection for us going down there, her and her husband were, had been up here, had been going to First Assembly. Uh, he was doing a second PhD. Uh, he ended up taking a position in Australia as a professor, but now he is on the Supreme Court uh, of the country of Columbia, and uh, only about 40 years of age, uh, and a remarkable legal scholar. They quote him the EU all the time and different things. But the wife has got very sick with a degenerative bone disease uh, and kidney failure, and she's only 37 or 38. And uh, there's some reason that we thought that it wasn't only physical things. And anyway, the Lord said to me, you got to go. And so, I thought, oh, so we quickly uh, got our tickets and we arranged to go, which, which we're really appreciative to Father Don and the others to allow us to be able to do that. Um, we had a remarkable trip. Um, basically, everybody we pray for, the Lord came in a very powerful way. Uh, it's been a long time since India, really, when we've seen uh, that kind of anointing. I mean, we pray the exact same way. I don't pray any differently. Um, I mean, I've been fasting, my Lenten fast, but there's no real explanation of how you can explain when you can go someplace and then all of a sudden everything you do uh, is like God's answering very immediately and powerfully. And then other times you pray for the people with the same words, the same intention, everything else. And it seems like we're, we're in a different kind of battle. I, I, I really don't understand all that. Um, 
But it was, I mean, it was surprised me. I mean, the first person I laid hands on, and all of a sudden, uh, we were, you know, anyway, you get the idea. So I wanted to read you one of the uh, testimonies that got sent to me on Friday. Now, there are literally hundreds of testimonies. Basically, what happened is we uh, have all these friends there, and so uh, a lot of them are going to this particular church. I had met the pastor maybe seven years ago, didn't know him and his wife well, but, uh, but in any case... So the people that we know would host typically lunches and dinners uh, that would go on for three or four hours uh, because they would invite all their friends, sort of like it felt very New Testament organic because you're meeting in someone's living room and the 30 people that they know and love and are concerned about are there and they want us to pray for them. And then everybody we pray for is... So I got a testimony this last Friday that my friend, the, the woman I went down there and Susie went down there to pray for, uh, she sent me this on WhatsApp. Uh, Friday night at about 9.50. So this is what she said. Uh, I wanted to tell you that the girl you prayed for, the one that had a hemorrhage in her bowels, stopped bleeding. Her mom is very grateful. M-U-M, mom is very grateful. It's very, she lived in Australia for a few years, so it's her mom. Her mom is very grateful. She had that for more than three months. Thank you for coming. Now what's interesting, uh, yeah, it's, it was fantastic. I mean, imagine bleeding you know, for three months, and the doctors can't stop it. Nothing's working. Uh, the girl wasn't there. The woman wasn't there. But the mom comes. We pray, and the Lord healed her. Now, the funny thing is, I don't remember. We pray for so many people, and so many things happen. I, I thought to myself, and Susie, I went. Out, I said, I showed Susie how to read it uh, when it came on my WhatsApp. But I said, you know, what's really neat is, I got no idea who this person was. We pray for so many people, and the Lord was touching so many people. Uh, that uh, how do you account uh, for that? And I thought, how wonderful uh, that we don't know. Uh, but the Lord is so good and so faithful uh, to that uh, girl and, and uh, also to her mother uh, in that way. So I've been thinking a lot about these things, and I wanted to preach this morning out of John 15, because part of the Lenten thing is we, we want to grow in our intimacy with God. We want to create a space in our fasting. We don't earn anything. Fasting is an invitation to choose to be empty according to the natural in the recognition that we need to be filled with more of God. And so there's this great joy. I mean, to get Lent is to understand the joy of saying God opens up and invites us to know him better and that we could deserve, better than we could ever grasp, but, but he invites us. And, if, and, and he gives us these opportunities in fasting to choose against things that are good, sometimes excessive in my case, but, but good, uh, and, and to say no to certain things, and then to say, in a sense, by saying no to that, creating a space because God wants so much to give us more of himself. Uh, this has been one of the best Lents ever for me. And I will tell you that I've been pretty good with my Lenten fast. Not perfect. Uh, partly in Colombia, you know, there are people who didn't see me, and most of them are Pentecostals, and they don't celebrate Lent. And so they would have said, oh, we're having dinner, and we made you a special cake. So being the good Christian that I am, I mean, how could you go as the visitor and a guest of honor and have them make something special and say no? Okay, so, of course, you can't. And I'm always willing to be the Lord's servant in that way. So, uh, my cross-cultural skills are very tight. So, in any case, other than a few of those, a few of those exceptions, it's been a really good Lent. But I think there's something of the joy The joy of knowing that God wants to fill me up. 
And he's giving us a ridiculous way. It's the tiniest thing for us to say no to sweets or sugar or coffee, whatever it is we're doing. It's, these are tiny, silly, and yet our God longs for the opportunity in that we make a choice for him to give us himself. And it's just been really, really good. So, John 15. In John 15, I really want to focus on two verses or three. I want to look at just verse 7. Uh, I want to look at verse, and, and, it's, and as 7 is an explanation of verse 4 and 5. So what happens in John 15 is, uh, we, he gives us this original statement, and then as the Semitic teaching model, he goes back and he breaks down the, the things in the first six verses, and then he goes back and gives us more details on each of those things. So you get this repetitive circling going in. That's the way the, uh, the, the ancient Near East preached, and this is how Jesus preached. And, and so I want to look at verse 7 first, and then I want to show the connection of what it's answering, what it's expounding in the first, I mean, in verse 4 or 5. So, verse 7, in my notes it's bold, but it's not probably in yours, but nonetheless, verse 7, you can see it on the screen or in your Bibles. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it should be done for you. Look at verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified. He delights. To glorify God is to reveal him as he is, meaning God is revealed as who he is through his people that love him and worship him, have their prayers answered. And Jesus is telling us the secret. He said there's these conditions. He says, if you abide in me or if you remain in me, the new living, if you remain in me, if you keep this organic connection with me, and if my words remain in you, ask whatever you desire, and you're going to have it. This is how my father is pleased. I mean, God's not saying, oh, you haven't prayed enough. I'm waiting and slow. No, no, no. Instead, Jesus, God is anxious and, and desiring the father wants a people that walk in such intimacy that what they ask for, he gives it to them. That's who our God is. I hate to tell you that, but that's not the God I was raised with. I was raised the God of the Bible, but I was not raised with, with that kind of expectation and to realize that that's what the father's heart is all about. So today, I want to talk about these conditions of what it means to remain in Jesus and for his words to abide uh, in us uh, as the condition for a life of, of power and a life of, of uh, a, a spiritual life of life that we pray and God's hearing our prayers. I, I mean, I spent a whole week last night. Everything we did, every casual prayer was like all of a sudden heaven opened up. I, I can't explain it. But it, there's nothing, I mean, the Father is glorified and delights when he has people that turn to him and are staying intimate with Jesus and when, when our prayers are being answered. That's what God loves. Let me tell you something. We love it too. What could be more exciting than to pray and know God's hearing our prayers and it's happening? So Jesus in verse 7 is expanding on verses 4 and 5. So let's look at verse 4 and 5. It's above on the screen or in your Bibles. He says, Abide or remain. Stay in organic connection with me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I mean, you want to be fruitful? You want to have a spiritual life that's happening? You want to understand the scriptures? You want your prayers being answered? You want to see your family come to Christ? You want to make a difference in this world? The answer isn't necessarily to get busy. The answer is to make sure we're properly connected with Jesus. 
So then in 5 he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Meaning you can't stop it. An apple tree that is planted bears apples. Apple trees don't grunt. You don't hear an apple tree go, mm, 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 mm. No. If we're remaining in Jesus and, and he's remaining in us and we're in him, something happens in the kingdom of God that, that you cannot stop being fruitful. And if we're not fruitful, then we say, oh, there is a way to be organically connected to Jesus and somehow I'm missing it, but it's there for me. Jesus promised these things. So how do I learn and discover to ask and to seek and to not? Because God wants to be fruitful. He wants to answer my prayers. And I don't see that happening. But it's there for me because Jesus promises it's in God's word. So it opens up this great invitation. It's okay to say, I'm not where Jesus said. But because Jesus said it, it's possible for those who would go for it and believe. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. But without me, you can do nothing. But, but if you're remaining in me. So what verse 7 is, it tells us how it is that we remain or abide in Jesus. Look at verse 7. So he first told us this remaining and abiding. He said, this happens if you abide in me. Now how is it that we abide with Jesus? Because that's what we want to do. Andrew Murray says this, when you pray, you talk to God. When you read God's word, God talks to you. Verse 7 tells us that the primary means in which Jesus is anticipating us, remaining and staying organically connected with him, it is more than, but it is not less than, being daily, intimately connected with his word. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words. So he is expanding what he said about abiding. He's now telling us how. How do we abide with him? How does his word? Well, it's his word. So there's three things I want you to know about his word. First of all, that it is no less, I mean, it is more, but not less. You cannot be in an organic relationship with Jesus. You cannot have a vibrant spiritual life if you are not spending time with Jesus in his word. Now, there's two other points. The second point is this. It is not only to be involved daily with his word, it is to be involved in his word in the sense that we let God's word speak to us with authority. What that means is, is that when we go to the scriptures and it says, this is how things should be, or this is what you should believe, right? that we don't think we're going to change God. We recognize that when the scripture says, this is how it should be, and when we're not then, we realize the one who's going to change is not God, but it's us. We live in an age and list the last, you know, since the 1950s. And to this movement of liberalism said, basically, you get to pick and choose. If it doesn't make sense to you, if you can't do it, then it's not really for you. Then God didn't really mean it like that. And that's just not true. I, I don't think it's accidental that the vast majority of us are coming from in our backgrounds are not Anglican. The vast majority of us are coming from having been in the Catholic church or been in the Baptist church or conservative evangelical churches who understand the authority of God and the authority of God's word. There are some people from the old time, Episcopal, There's some of the, because it was in the old time, but most of you are a little bit older, not to be pointing fingers, but, but the most of us 
the thing that we connect with here is in the old prayer book and these things, not that the new prayer book is irredeemable, it's got a lot of good things, but, but the point is this, this church and the way that we do things, we understand that God has the authority and his word is authoritative for us. And when it's wrong, we're wrong, we repent. And when we can't do it, we need, we need we have to seek God and ask for more of the Holy Spirit. Meaning, there's an or, yeah, I don't think it's accidental. You know, we think of Baptists and Catholics being so different. But there's something that I've noticed through the years that so many of us, what we share, even though our backgrounds are different, is the overlap is we understand that God is right even if we're wrong. And even if we've got to change. And there's something about that that I think draws a lot of us, though our backgrounds aren't this kind of church, that's kind of what, that's, I think that's the overlap. That's the overlap, the authority of God's word. So if we're going to remain in Jesus, we have to be letting Jesus speak to us and his opinions and his thoughts and God's thoughts in the Bible, they have to run the show. So, you know, like, like what Jesus thinks about the poor, what Jesus thinks about money, what Jesus thinks about hell, what Jesus thinks about morals, that's what matters. What God says in his word, that's what matters. So, so it's not just... Reading the Bible, it's reading it so that Jesus is speaking to us in his word. And the third thing is this. I know you're thinking, oh, we're going to be done with the three points? Well, you could be so lucky, but you're not. But here's the third point, and then I'm going to give you two examples. Jesus expects that there's a type of reading where we spend time with Jesus' word daily, where we listen to what he's saying, he expects that there will be a mystical relationship. A mystical means spiritual. Okay? A, spirit, a real, spiritual, real thing happened that we will get to know him in a very different way. Meaning, we're not studying philosophy or just history. There's a way to read the Bible that a relationship and a connection can happen with God because we're reading it because it matters, it's God's word. We're reading it because what he says, so we're approaching it in a submissive posture of worship to who God is and what God has said. And the third thing is, in the doing of that, God meets us and we begin to hear his voice and, and things begin to happen where, where all of a sudden it goes from a 2D intellectual relationship where we begin to experience God and be led by God and empowered by God in a really phenomenal and different kind of way. Now, I want to give you two examples. Um, when I was a little boy, I say little boy, 11, um, maybe, I'm guessing not quite 12. I was living in a farmhouse in Pennsylvania. The house was at that time in the late 70s, maybe 76, 77, something like that. I guess it would be about 77. Um, it had been 130 years old uh, at that time. And, and for some reason, at night, uh, when I would be in my bed, I would feel sometimes almost paralyzed. Uh, with fear, and almost like I couldn't move. I know there's psychological names for that or whatever, that experience, and it's not unique. But anyways, this was happening to me, and I don't really know why, but as I've told you in the past, this little book that had a lot of influence on my life by A.W. Tozer, you would do well to buy the book. It's amazing how simple it is and how he breaks it down, uh, what to do. But, but anyway, the book was called, uh, and I haven't picked it up since that time, but I can tell so much of that book is ingrained in me, I can't, I can't, you can't even imagine this is 40-something, 40 42 years later, and I still can basically outline the teachings of the book because God used it so helpfully and powerfully in my life. So um, uh, I, I, the book is called I Talk Back to the Devil, A.W. Tozer. 
And it's really how to deal with spiritual conflict, how to deal with temptations. So he had all these practical things, like take God's word, you know, put it on your, your bathroom mirror. It was on three by five, five cards. Today, there's probably an app for that. You know, you don't use pay for it. But, but, but in the old days, you know, put a three by five card, not even a post-it note. Uh, three by five, put it here, put it. And, and, but anyway, but he started out with this concept about without faith, Hebrews eleven six. I think there's a screen for that. I think. Look at this. Bobby, Bobby, you are so good. And you read beautifully, by the way. All right, Hebrews eleven six. He says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's rewarded those who diligently seek him. Well, I'm going to tell you something. If there's ever a boy who wanted a reward, I wanted a reward. I like that part. You know, okay? but, but I realized um, I didn't feel like I had a lot of faith. And, 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 and here, the writer of the book of Hebrews, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so I recognized the rub. And, and he says, for he who comes to God must believe he is. And I had all kinds of doubts. Uh, looking back, a lot of them were self-doubts and everything. But, but I also had some doubts about God. And, and, and certainly, you know, just an 11-year-old boy and and, and, and so there I was, and, 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 uh, but I was, and I didn't know about abiding me, but, but because I was reading this book, and, and he told us to write these verses out and to memorize, I'm memorizing this verse, and I'm praying over this verse. I didn't know it, but I was meditating on that verse, because I would think about it, and, and days pass as I'm thinking about this verse, and I've got it on my three-by-five card, and I'm having these experiences where I was feeling afraid in the night, and, 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 and all of a sudden, one day, this mystical union took root in me, and, and, and all of a sudden, I realized as I'm reading this, because I couldn't quite figure out how to connect, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I had this question, because it says, for, for he who comes to God must believe he is. And my question at 11 was, he is what? What? what, what do you mean? He is. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, which I didn't know was the Holy Spirit back then, but the Holy Spirit speaks to me, the heart of Jesus, and says, Ron, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is God. And if he's God, he opened up my mind. Oh, if he's God, and what he says matters. It controls the story of my life. If he's God, then that means I can trust his word. If he's God, he's bigger than the enemy in my fear and my anxiety. There was weeks that I would now say of revelation. At the time, I, you know, only Pentecostals things like I had revelation. You know, the only revelation I knew was the last book of the Bible. But anyway, I mean, you know, the Pentecostals would give us a different vocabulary. But where God would speak to me and begin to impact to me. The beauty of God and the implications of that for my life. He's God. I can trust him. I won't be made a fool of when I follow him. Come what may, good or bad. If he's God, then I can count on his word. All the, I mean, the Lord just began to tell me, and all these things. I was one of those kids that paid attention. Didn't necessarily understand it, but, it, but I, I paid attention to Sunday school and church and sermons and all kind of, I mean, there was all this stuff. And, and God began to speak with me because I was abiding and I didn't even know that's what it was. 
I was certainly approaching it that it was God's way. But, but I mean, when you approach it like that, then as God reveals himself, of course, you become all the more impressed with God and understand even greater his authority and his love and all these different things. From there, one of the other big steps, and there was other ones, but one of the other big steps was the next screen. And I'm just giving these two examples of, of things that I learned in this book and I memorized. James 4, 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, I'm having these encounters, and I pretty much sense this fear, and I mean, I didn't see any demons, or but, but it was a terrifying fear, and I felt literally paralyzed, like I couldn't move. And so I'm reading this book. I actually, I don't know why, but I would, uh, I would move as I had a flashlight. My little brother's on another bed over here in this, and you know, we both had antique beds in this old farmhouse. And, and I would, uh, for some reason, I read this book, I would go to the, under the covers, flashlight in hand. I'm at the foot of the bed with reading the book. No one cared if I was reading the book. But, but anyway, I, for some reason, that's how I'm doing it. And so I'm having a quiet time with Jesus, which I didn't know I was doing that. But anyway, so here I am. And I'm reading Tozer on this, and it, it got into me. He's like, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. And I'm pretty sure if you read the book, and I would recommend you do, but I'm pretty sure Tozer says something to this. When the Bible says the devil will flee, he doesn't say he might flee, maybe he'll flee, hopefully he'll flee. When the God's word says submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee, God means it and it's going to happen. And he said, basically, in the moment of temptation and fear and anxiety, when these things happen, you got to hold on to God because God has made these promises. You can count on them. I'd already been working through the Hebrews ones. I have faith in God. Okay, I get it. God's opening me up to this. So I said, okay, you mean it. So now I'm having these things happen, and now I'm rehearsing. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Now, I'm probably saying that in these, I don't know, it felt like an hour, but it probably two minutes, ten minutes, I don't know how long. It felt like forever. And I'm just like this paralyzing fear, but I'm interacting with this book, then this thing will happen, and I'm just going over and over. Submit to God, resist it, and he will flee. And as I'm saying that, I could feel sort of my faith growing, even though this sort of panic thing that was happening or fear thing was happening, spiritual attack that was happening, whatever it was, I could feel myself getting steady, but it didn't stop at first. And, and it would take me, I don't know, five, ten minutes. At a certain point, it breaks. Oh, you want to talk about being excited. I mean, now I feel like in the book of Acts where the sword getting the devil, you know, I feel like I'm, you know, uh, in an adventure novel or something. I mean, now, I mean, I mean, I'm praying, I'm having this thing, and I'm seeing God honor his word, and it's happening. And it continued to happen. And each time, it was longer. But I was holding on. And each time, my faith was growing. Honestly, as best I can tell, at a certain point, the devil stopped doing that particular attack because if a person under that kind of attack trusts in God and God keeps coming through, your faith only grows. Now, there's plenty of other attacks I failed, <laughs> tons of them, but, but I'll tell you, on that one, I was telling them I can still smell, I, you know, but you don't remember, some of you remember old leather. I, I had some kind of antique piece of end table thing, I don't know if it was a cigar box, but it was, it was like copper, on the, it was like lined in copper. And I had, a, I had this book and some of my little treasures in there. 
uh, and, and they had old leather, and I spilled the old leather, and so everything smelled like old leather, which to me smells good. Some of you would. It, never, it hasn't had any staying power as a cologne, so maybe it's not so great. But, but anyway, there it was, and, and, and I can still smell it. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will, and I will do it. The Father is glorified. God, in these very simple ways, wants to encounter us. He wants to meet us so that we know him. So it's not just an idea. As I was praying, as I was reading, as I was interacting with God's word, as I was making it my business to hear from God, God opened up this spiritual and mystical relationship. The saddest thing is, I only bumped into that thing. I would love to tell you from that point on, I learned how to abide in Jesus. Sadly, I didn't recognize I can do this for everything. When that season ended of that kind of direct confrontation, I kind of forgot all about it until, I mean, I I wish I could have said, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do every day. it was, the, it was the intensity of this thing that was happening to me that drove me into God to need God to see my need and then to find him. But this is what God wants us to do every day. To connect with him, to remain in him, to hear from him, and then to have prayers that are empowered by him. To live a life that's uh, 3D spiritually, not just intellectual and 2D. We're going to talk about the ask whatever you will next time. But, but this morning, I, I, I want to pray. Uh, there's these seasons where I can't explain in Colombia or India. I, I don't know. But I tell you one thing on the plane back. I was asking, Lord, why, why in Colombia and, and, and why not in Gainesville? Do we see, I mean, we see people get healed here, but not like I see when I travel sometimes. I think one, I, don't, I think there's a lot of answers. But, but I'll tell you one answer. I think he gave me two, but here's one of them. I feel like he said, Ron, how many times did you pray asking me for the nations? I thought thousands. One time in my early or mid-20s, I thought the Lord said, ask me for the nations. And I would sit up. I used to have my high blood pressure would be keep me up sometimes for two or three hours every night. I could not sleep. Uh, unless I prayed for a couple hours, and then I think my blood pressure would come down, whatever that, however that worked, and then I could sleep. I kind of missed those days. God kind of healed that, but, but there was years where I basically couldn't sleep until I prayed. Uh, it wasn't a choice in that sense. Uh, but one of the things I heard God say to me is, ask me for the nation. So I can't tell you how many nights I sat up and I would see parts of the globe, and I said, okay, Vietnam. You know, going through Africa, going through Latin America, looking at maps other times so I could ask the countries. Now I've prayed for Gainesville, but I felt like what he said is, Ron. You've asked me for the nations. Ask me for Gainesville. I thought, wow, I prayed for Gainesville. I've done a lot of things, I mean, but not like I prayed. Because I, I, I heard God say, ask me for the nations. 
if you abide in me, in my words, if they remain, if we come with expectancy to hear God, to do what he says, if we encounter him in five minutes a day, he says, you ask me what you want, and I'm going to do it. Listen, the Father is glorified. He is thrilled. He expresses the wonder of who he is when his people learn to be intimate with him and ask of him, and he answers. This is what thrills God. This is what God has for each of us. Would you stand? And Lord Jesus, we love you. Lord, I pray for our church, Lord. Now, Lord, some of us don't know how to even begin to start reading the Bible and we feel ignorant. This, that. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to begin to engage with you in your word. Lord, to come as people who understand that you're God and therefore what you say is how things have to be. And that you provide it for us, the chance to repent if we're wrong. Uh, Lord, to ask you for help when we can't do what you say yet because we need more of you and we need more forgiveness and more grace and, and we need to grow and mature. Lord, I pray that we'd approach it like this and that, Lord, then we would be meeting you there and that really we would know that we're having fellowship with you, that it's not just intellectual or theological, uh, but that our intellectual and our reading, it, it turns into something that changes our hearts because we've touched your heart. And we've encountered you and we begin to hear your voice. Our, our way becomes empowered and our life begins to be transformed. And our prayers profoundly begin to get answered. And, it, and Lord, the joy of that. Lord, there's nothing like that connecting with you and, 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 and being in this interchange that your house is a house of prayer where, where we pray and you answer, Lord. Lord, it's there for us and, 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 and uh, it's scary to believe something like that because it means that we have to be willing to fail a little bit to learn how to do it. That we've got to trust your word even when we haven't seen it before. That we have to trust your word even when it's not easy at the beginning to learn and grow and, and when there's ups and downs. Lord, we've got to trust your word that this is what glorifies you and we exist to glorify you. So Lord, I pray that you would shift us, that you would pour out an uncommon grace amongst us. That together, Lord, we could be people of encounter, of allowing your words to remain and abiding in you, Lord. Uh, that we would be a people uh, that are profoundly transforming this world by inviting and declaring your kingdom and your promises here and now. Lord, for such a time as this, and this is what you've called us to. So we ask you, Lord, help us. Uh, Lord, enable us in our weakness and in our doubt, Lord, uh, teach us, uh, Lord, how to pray how to trust, increase our faith. Lord, all these things that we need. Lord, help us to do it together. And we bless you, Lord, and we love you. We're so grateful. 
Lord, we ask you to continue to open up our eyes to the possibilities of those who would believe you. So we ask these things in the most precious, the most holy and wonderful name, the name of Jesus. And in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven.